Open your Bibles to the book of Esther, chapter 4. Esther, chapter 4. This is the 12th book of history for the Jews. The history of the Jews, as far as the category of books, began in Joshua. Joshua, Judges, and Ruth, those three go together. Then we have 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, 1 Chronicles, 2 Chronicles. Basically six books on the kings. So those books go together. Joshua, Judges, Ruth, that goes. Kings, six books there. Boys. And then you've got Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those books go together. Those are the books after the exile. So before the kings, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, then the kings, and then after the exile called post-exilic books. We've done Ezra, we've done Nehemiah, and we're now in the last of the historical books in the Hebrew Bible. Esther chapter four. Tonight we'll just be reading one verse, verse 16. Esther four, verse 16, go. Gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast for me. And do not eat or drink three days, night or day. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And if I perish, I perish. The plot of the book of Esther began in chapter three. That is when the problem shows up and the heroes face the problem in the very next chapter, the fourth chapter. Chapters one and two sets the stage. Chapter three has the problem. Chapter four is when the heroes get engaged and begin to battle this problem. The problem is identified by an idea that is repeated over and over. Did you catch it when you read chapters three and chapter four? One idea, but it's three different words. Look back at chapter 3, verse 13. You can see them right there. Three different Hebrew words are used, but a very similar idea. Can you guess from verse 13? What word is used in the book of Esther more perverse than any book of the Bible? It's in chapter 3, verse 13. It's an idea, or there's three different words for it. Kill, destroy, Annihilate. Do you see those words in verse 13? Kill, destroy, annihilate. Those words and words like them are used more in the book of Esther, 27 times, or one time for every six verses. The next closest book is Deuteronomy, and it uses those words once every 17 verses. Esther, the book of Esther is focused on death, destruction, killing, and annihilation. And you thought it was a book about a pretty girl. It's a book about very heavy problems. And it just so happens that a girl is going to save them from these problems. But the problem is very real, very heavy. The object of killing and death and destroying and annihilate is the Jews. 
So these evil people want to bring death to the Jewish people. And the Jewish people are described. Look back at verse 13. How are the Jewish people described in verse 13? All. Both young and old. Little children and women. He uses multiple phrases to make sure you understand every single Jew must be gone. There could not be a greater problem. They have been threatened with absolute destruction. It would be mass murder. It would be mass stealing. It would also be an unrecoverable break in God's plan, an unrecoverable break in God's plan because God had promised that the Messiah would come through the Jews, but this is a law that commands the destruction of all the Jews. To deal with this, Mordecai weeps in public. Do you remember two weeks ago, chapter four, verse one? Mordecai weeps. Oh. And then after he weeps, Esther hears about his weeping and sends him clothes and food. He says, no, I'm not wearing that. She says, well, why not? And he says, because don't you know about this law? They're going to kill and destroy and annihilate. Whom? Jews. What kind of Jews? How many Jews? All of them, young and old, women and children. Man, everyone in the Jewish population. In all places. So then Esther says, but I can't do anything. Why are you talking to me, Mordecai? I can't do anything. I'm just a weak woman. That's chapter four, verse number 11. The king hasn't seen me for a month. Yes, I'm his wife, but if I come in before him, he's a pagan, he can kill me. Chapter four, verse 11. Can you imagine that, girls? If you, your husband could kill you, If you have a Christian dad or a Christian husband, you need to thank God. Esther didn't have that. Mordecai talks back to her again in verse number 13 and says, no, no, no. Let me give you three reasons why you must not be silent. Three reasons why. Use your logic. Three reasons why. Follow The true leading that you know God is putting in your heart. Follow number three, just practically speaking. Practically speaking, just realize you're going to die anyway, so you better go talk to him. Three reasons. That is all the background to this remarkable line. Look in verse 15. Esther chapter four, verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. What answer? If you had to summarize verse 16 in one word or two words or three words or four words at the most, how would you summarize verse 16? Colin? Pray for me. Pray for me. Wow, well done. You could call it prayer meeting. Go pray. Tonight, I want to talk to you on the subject of the prayer meeting because Esther calls a prayer meeting. So I'd like to give you three points tonight. I'd like to show you the prayer meeting that she called. That's point number one. 
Underneath that heading, I'll have five points. <clears throat> she called a prayer meeting. And then underneath that, five thoughts. Then after we discuss the prayer meeting itself, I want to ask you, why was it so valuable? I'd like to give you a number of reasons there as well. So let's talk first of all about the prayer meeting before we look at the value, the worth, the importance of prayer meetings. PM means prayer meeting, not prime minister here. And then the third and final comments that I'll raise tonight will be ways to lead a prayer meeting. And I have eight or so. I think it's six. I can't remember. I would like to talk to you this evening from the book of Esther about the prayer meeting. Let's see those right off. Number one, look at the very first word. Tell me, what's the first word in your verse 16? Go. Go. Does anyone have a Bible that doesn't have the word go? It's all go. Go, gather all the Jews. She makes a request of Mordecai right off. She says, I want a meeting. Brothers and sisters, there is strength in public meetings. Anyone who held fast to belief in Jehovah was to be called. Don't sit at home. Don't get on Zoom. Come. Each person would have to play their role. Each person would have to pick up his part. Each person would have to do what he could do. It's all you can do. They may feel insignificant like you do. Have you ever gone to church and felt as if it doesn't matter if I go or not? Have you ever felt that way? These people probably felt that way. But Esther said, go and gather all of them together. I know that one might feel like he's not doing anything. That one feels like it's a waste of time. That one's busy. No, tell them, persuade them, get them to the meeting. Politicians live by this rule. They must make people feel like they have significant influence. A politician tries to make you feel like you have significant influence because they want you to go out and vote for them, right? And if they can't make you feel like you're significant, you will not vote for them. And if you don't vote for them, they will not be in power. Politicians understand that each person's voice is significant. Esther understood it as well. She did not say, call all the rabbis, the ones that can read Aramaic. No, I want all the people. Even the women? Yeah, get them, get them. Well, the kids, if they can pray, get them. Get all those guys together. At the prayer meeting, these people are significant. This is why Hebrews 10 verse 24 says, Consider one another to encourage, to stimulate, to provoke, to love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. Did you follow that? That's Hebrews 10 verses 24 and 25. We need to meet 
to encourage each other to do the right thing. Because maybe this guy didn't read the Bible as well this week as he did the other week. But if we get together, I'm hoping next week he'll say, hey, thank you for your prayers. God answered your prayers, right? And even if he doesn't say that next week, I'm sure that if we keep meeting with him every week, we have a much better chance after five or 10 or 15 or 20 years to see this one loving his wife, reading his Bible, repenting of his sins, than if he does not meet. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 urges us not to miss the gatherings because there's a significance in the corporate meetings. Believers are to the prayer meeting what air is to a balloon. Have you ever felt sorry for a balloon when the air goes out? That's the way my mind works. Cornet's shaking his head. My son was given balloons for his birthday, these long balloons. So he blows them up and then they stand back and all my kids will let the balloon go and they'll have races with them and see how far they can shoot and all this. And when you see that balloon, it's been blown up seven times and it falls limp at your feet. I just, that poor thing, that, that thing needs some air. And sure enough, they fill it up again. But what air is to a balloon, the believers are to the prayer meeting. Take people away and it's just laying there on the floor looking like a pile of wrinkles. The prayer meeting needs the people. Each dish, have you ever come to a banquet and you saw so many dishes you didn't know which one to start first? I have. It's not common. But sometimes, maybe at a church meal or at a big banquet or a buffet, you might come in and see so many. Wait, do I want that? Which one? That buffet is made of all those dishes. And at a prayer meeting, you are the goucher. (laughs) And you are the (laughs) bourgeoisie. You are spinach. But all those things come together to make a banquet a banquet. Esther would not have been content if they had just said, well, I'll just send a text message. Not good enough. Point number two, look at the next phrase. Go, gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan. Fast for me. Number two, fast for me. When scripture speaks of fasting, it almost always speaks of prayer as well. The author of this book used fasting as a code word for prayer. And not only prayer, but answers to prayer. Samuel fasted and prayed and was answered. Jehoshaphat fasted and prayed and was answered. Ezra fasted and prayed and was answered. Nehemiah fasted and prayed and was answered. Daniel fasted and prayed and was answered. Jonah or the people in Nineveh fasted and prayed and were answered. The church at Antioch fasted and prayed and was answered. I read every verse in the Bible on fasting this week. And what I found is there were two examples where men fast with an evil motive. Like Jezebel. Jezebel tells some guys to come out and fast to pretend like they're telling the truth. And there's a few other, one other, evil fast in the Bible where men are told to fast to lie to people. 
But most of the examples of fasting in the Bible are done by believers. And almost every example has them fasting with prayer, except this one in Esther. And consistently, the fasting and prayer also records in the context, they were answered. Esther fasts. She was also praying. This was a prayer meeting. Fasting does not trick God. Do not say to yourself, oh, I really want this thing in my life. Therefore, let me fast. I've seen many, many people do that. They really want the boy to like them or the girl to like them. So they fast. They really want to get the job. Oh, we're fasting. I don't know what to do. I need a job. I'm not saying don't fast. I am saying do not think that fasting is a trick. God can't be tricked. He can't be leveraged. You don't come to God on your terms and say, now I really need this thing. So now that I need this thing, I'll do things so that I get what I want. God does not work that way. He is not your puppet. You do not stick your hand inside him and make him speak the way you want him to talk. Fasting is not that way. When there was no repentance with Jezebel, when there was no repentance in the book of Isaiah chapter 58, fasting brought on them God's anger. But fasting can come in two kinds. Fasting can be, as I heard a godly man preach about years ago, the spontaneous desire of the soul. What is the spontaneous desire of the soul? There's an example of it right here in Esther chapter 4. Who fasted spontaneously? He was overwhelmed. He didn't plan. He didn't say, oh, I'm going to plan to do this fast. I'm going to fast for these reasons. He was overwhelmed and so he fasted. Who? Mordecai chapter 4. This was unusual. The danger was so great. He said, I'm going to fast. Now, I heard a good godly man say, because we can't trick God, fasting should be when we are overwhelmed with the conversion of our friend or overwhelmed with our sin or overwhelmed with the power of God. I don't deny that we should fast at those times. But there is a second category. Sometimes fasting is spontaneous. Oh, I'm so full of joy or fear or hate or sadness that I'm going to pray. But it also might be a planned effort at self-denial. Like who? Esther. Mordecai is overwhelmed with grief. Esther's not overwhelmed. She says, oh, well, she might be overwhelmed. But that's not the cause of her fasting here. She says, okay, wait, let's plan. Let's plan this. It'll be three days. We'll start here. We'll end here. Get all the people together. Tell them to do this thing. Why? Let's fast and pray. Maybe God won't kill me. That's what Esther says. We need to have both of these times of fasting in our lives. We need to have times when we fast because we long, we are overwhelmed with love for our children. Perhaps sometime on their birthdays, you see your child at night when they're going to bed and you say to yourself, I'm just going to pray to God to save this one. I had been thinking to go back out now that my child is asleep. I was thinking to go back out here and have some dessert or sit up or do this fun thing or watch this movie or relax in this way. No, I'm not going to do it. In fact, 
Tonight, they're already in bed. Tomorrow, I'm going to work. Lunch for the next tonight up until tomorrow night for dinner. I'm not going to eat. I'm just going to pray for this little one to be converted. I have known that with my children. It overwhelmed me when I saw them before they got big and ugly, when they were cute and sweet. I still pray for you guys. But there ought also to be times when we plan it and we say every month on the first Wednesday or every Friday at lunch or every year for this week, we're going to have this time. We put aside our food. We give ourselves to fasting and prayer. But notice this, number three. Look in verse 16. Fast for me and, next phrase, do not eat or drink for three days. Number three, sacrifice. Denying food would be difficult, but denying drink would be painful. Doctors say that you can live for a hundred hours without drinking. I would think you could live longer than that, but I'm not a doctor. We have some medical personnel. Does that sound right to you, a hundred hours? Do you think we could live longer than a hundred hours without drinking? Longer than that? I, I just Googled, okay? So Google's not... But I found about six websites that said... Doctors say you can live 100 hours. Maybe you live seven days. But three days without drinking is going to be very uncomfortable. You wake up, no drinking. You go through the day, no water. There are very few cases where they don't drink in the Bible. But there are a few. This is one of them. Esther doesn't drink. She sacrifices. She puts it off. The people of Nineveh did not eat or drink in Jonah 3 verse 7. Why? Because God said he was going to destroy them. Do you see what happened? Esther realizes her people will be destroyed. She says, don't eat and don't. People of Nineveh, they're going to be destroyed. Don't eat and don't. Paul the Apostle, Acts chapter 9 verse 9 When the Lord appears to him, he falls off the horse. He gets uh, led into the town for three days. He does not eat or drink. Why? Because he's comparing everything he knows from the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy. He's thinking through all the prophets of Isaiah and Jeremiah. And of course, David, he's thinking those through and saying, wait a minute, I know about that king. No, no, have I been attacking and kicking and hurting? Have I been... Lifting up my fist against the king. This can't be true. It must be true. No. Food. I don't want food. Drink. I can't drink. I've been wrong about the most important thing in all of life. In all of history. I have been lifting up my hand against God. And against his king. He doesn't eat and he doesn't drink for three days. Until Ananias comes and baptizes him. What do we sacrifice? What do we sacrifice when we pray? Number four, look down at verse 16. After the not eating and drinking, what do you see next? How long? Three days. Extended time. That's the fourth point up here in this one right here. The prayer meeting. I'm on point number four. Extended time, their fast would have probably been less than 72 hours because she goes to see the king on the morning of the third day. 
chapter 5, verse 1. So on day number one, she's talking to Mordecai. So the talking back and forth, back and forth. So what time is that? 11 o'clock in the afternoon? 1 o'clock? I don't know. Sometime in the day. So her fast started sometime. Let's just pick a day like Tuesday. Sometime on, let's say, for example, Tuesday in the afternoon. And then she fasted Tuesday night, all day Wednesday and Wednesday night. And then sometime Thursday morning, she goes in to see the king. Why is this extended time necessary? Because the human soul requires time in order to reflect. When I was in the car accident a few months ago, I forgot two obvious things right off. A few hours later, I looked back and thought, why did I not do that? One is, why didn't I take a video of the area? I have a phone. I could have done that. That would have helped the insurance assessors. That would have made their job easier. That would have cleared me of guilt. Why didn't I do that? It was clear from the way things happened and the marks on the road. Why didn't I think about it? If I had had three days to reflect on that, I would have come up with it. She takes this time because she knows extended time is what we need to reflect and work through the matter in our heart. Three days means something. Three days means time to think. It means new ideas, new perspectives will come. Three days means that there's two nights to sleep on it, the Tuesday night and the Wednesday night in the illustration of the days that I just gave. It means you've got time to work through what you're going to do. It means you've got time to ponder the importance of this. It means that all the businessmen have to say, I'm not going to go to work. I'm going to stop work now and I'm not going to work tomorrow or the next day. How would you like that, businessmen? It's happened another time. 30 years after this, Nehemiah is going to ask for the same thing to build the wall. And they give it. That tells you that true believers are always willing to devote themselves and their schedule to spiritual causes. Extended time. Prayer ought to control our schedule, not the other way around. Our schedule controls our prayer. Time is required if we're going to look into our souls, if we're going to prepare our minds and our hearts, if we're going to be able to offer requests that matter. So in other words, if life were like a car, spiritual matters should be the driver and earthly matters should be the passenger. Or in other words, if life were like an office and all the people working at that office, spiritual matters should be the ones signing all the purchase orders. You can't buy anything out of that office unless that guy signs it. And the guy in charge is a spiritual matters. Matthew 6.33 says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. Priorities. Put the kingdom of God first and all the other things will work out. Esther does this. She says, I know you're busy. I want you to prioritize the prayer meeting. And some of you, all of you, I want all the believers to prioritize the prayer meeting. What would happen if we did the same thing today? Have you ever sometimes found that your prayers are cold at the beginning of your prayers and warm at the end? How many of you, honestly, don't, don't, don't raise your hand just to be part of the group, but how many of you have found that, that commonly 
when you begin praying, you feel kind of cold or dead spiritually, but maybe toward the end of your prayer, you feel more interested. Esther knows that too. You need to get going. You need to start moving. Objects at rest tend to remain at rest. Objects in motion tend to remain in motion. Number five, look down at verse 16. What's the next phrase after three days? I also and my maidens, she wants unity. She says, not only am I asking you to do this, but I'm going to be involved in it. It is evident when there is an equal zeal among all the members of a group. Have you ever seen some leaders in a prayer meeting quietly slip out because they have something better to do? I've seen that. I'm thinking of a church right now where a prayer meeting was called. We all met. And the man who started said some things. Okay, now we're going to start praying. And then we all sat down to pray. And then I noticed him walk out. And he didn't come back. And afterward, I went to talk to him. And I thought, why did you walk out? Wasn't it important for you? Some leaders quietly slip out. But the members of the group learn that other things are more important. When they see their friends not coming, godly leaders should follow the apostles and give themselves to prayer. Esther, even, she says, it's not just me, it's all my girls. Remember, she's the queen. She's young, 21, 22. But the king is the emperor of the whole Persian empire. Oh, he's got plenty of girls, 14, 15, 16-year-old girls who are going to do exactly what she wants, be her friends, do what she wants, and follow her and serve her. And she says, you know, I really don't even want servants if they don't have my same spiritual values. We're going to have unity here on this. Every believer was included. The piano player was not excluded. Have you ever seen that where the piano player sits and plays while everyone else does spiritual things? When faced with terror, Esther calls for prayer. That's the point right there. When, when Esther is faced with death, killing, and annihilation, she says, I know what we'll do. Uh, let's just sit down and cry. No. Let's call in the, let's call in the defense force. No. Let's have a prayer meeting. Before action is prayer. For three days. Can you imagine someone saying, this is a time to get to work. Plenty of time for prayer later on. Why was prayer the right response? Let me give you five good things that prayer meetings do. Number one, prayer meetings Remind each Christian of his own commitment. When you come to the prayer meeting, you are saying, I am still committed to this religion, to the faith that I professed publicly. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Years ago, I said I was a Christian. And when I meet for the prayer meeting, what am I saying? I am a Christian. Number two, this is under point two. The value. What's the value of the prayer meeting? Well, number one, it's a recommitment. Every time you come to a prayer meeting, you're saying, I'm in. I'm all in. Number two, second benefit. Second value. Second glory. It exercises our spiritual muscles. Have you ever heard someone who speaks very well when they pray? 
Usually, they only got that way by doing it many, many times. You don't just become a good cricket player. You practice. You don't just become good at Tsonga or Vendor Afrikaans. You practice. You must practice. Number three. Prayer meetings encourage others whose faith is up and down. Why is a prayer meeting valuable? What good does it do? Answer, it encourages the faith of those people who are up and down. Didn't one of our brothers just say, bad week, that's one of the downs. Here's a guy who's up and down. But if you'll come to the prayer meeting with him, you'll strengthen his faith. I'm not picking on you. We're all like that in different ways. Number four, what's the value of a prayer meeting? Prayer meetings produce emotions of absolute dependence. Listen to that. Wait, wait, did you check out? What does a prayer meeting do? It creates emotions of dependence in us because a prayer meeting by necessity says, I am low and someone is very high. And it also says, he can do for me what I in my lowness can't. It says two things, humility, sovereignty. It says, I depend and I can't do it. It says the most valuable Christian doctrines, God is big and I am small. Every time we meet for a prayer meeting, it says those things. You cannot have a prayer meeting without saying those things unless you're harboring sin in your heart. But you will not be able to do this day after day and week after week and month after month and year after year without saying humility and dependence. David's Psalms are exactly like this. As I've been reading the Psalms this year, I've been amazed at the blend he makes of exalting God's high, glorious transcendence. God is on his throne and David is in the dust. It's all through the Psalms. He even says it, I am dust. He says, I'm a, I'm a shadow. He says, I'm a wind. He says, I'm grass. He says, I'm a worm. All those things. And every time God is great and God is bigger, God's bigger than I ever realized and I'm lower than I ever realized. How did David get that way? Because throughout the Psalms, as I've been reading this year, I've drawn this on the side of the Psalms. What do you think I mean by that when I put that beside Psalm 35? It's a prayer. Anytime I found David speaking directly to Jehovah, which is prayer, right? I put this beside and I found almost every one of the Psalms is a prayer. The longest prayer in the Bible is Psalm 119. Seven pages long in the Song of Bible. The point is, David has absolute dependence on God because he's constantly praying. And David is praying because he has absolute dependence on God. But absolute dependence on God is uniquely pleasing to him. It is so pleasing to God to have you cast yourself on him that God will even allow an angel to shake his fist in the face of God. God will allow that angel to fall down to earth, taking a third, hundreds of thousands of beautiful, bright spirits. And he will allow, God loves absolute dependence so much that he will allow that powerful being 
the most powerful being in the world outside of Father, Son, and Spirit, he will allow that being to gather together bright, shining, powerful, lightning bolts that can talk. And he will allow them to come down to his new creation and destroy it. He will allow that army of evil spirits to bring war, murder, famine, poverty, African traditional religion, superstition, hostility, divorce. God will allow those spirits to control the world. First John 5. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First Peter 5. The devil is a roaring lion walking about seeking whom he may devour. He will allow that spirit to do all those things because in allowing Satan to do those things over so far 6,000 years, God is creating absolute dependence in the hearts of his people when we go and pray. That's why the danger came to Esther. Do you follow me? The danger came to Esther so that she would have absolute dependence on God. Let me ask you, would she ever have called the prayer meeting if they did not say we're going to kill and destroy and annihilate? She wouldn't have called the prayer meeting. She would have had a nice little luncheon with her favorite tarts. God doesn't like nice luncheons with strawberry tarts. He likes absolute dependence. And so he allows a maniac to sit with the emperor You say, why in the world did God let that guy there? Like he could have just caused his dad to have a heart attack. Why why does he put that guy with that king? God put that guy with that king so that he would kill and annihilate and destroy. So that Esther would say, I've got to pray. That's how much he likes the prayer meeting. Do we like it that much? Number four. Number five. Why does... God liked the prayer meeting. Why is the prayer meeting important? What is the value of the prayer meeting? Follow this, please. Number five, prayer meetings bring results. I'm not merely an American pragmatist. I hope I'm a Christian pragmatist. That is a pragmatist that is completely and totally bound by the Bible. A pragmatist in this sense, if you go through all the times in the Bible when they fasted and prayed, as I mentioned earlier in the sermon, Consistently, God answers their prayers. In Acts chapter 4, they have a prayer meeting. And in verse 31, the Bible says the place was shaken where they assembled together. God answered their request. They prayed that they would preach with boldness. Remember in Acts chapter 4, they were thrown in prison. As soon as they get out of prison, they don't even go home. They go to a prayer meeting first. And what do they pray for in the prison? Oh, tell those people to stop beating us. Tell the governors to stop doing this. No, they say, please help us to be louder when we're on the streets preaching. And God says, okay, I'll do that. And gives them boldness. That's Acts chapter 4, verse 31. When the ancient nation of Israel prayed at the opening of the temple, God fell. God sent fire down. Second Chronicles 7. When the nation prayed in Nehemiah 9, God stirred up hundreds and thousands of people for a revival to sign a a covenant. Let me tell you this story. The Fulton Street prayer meeting in 1857 in New York. I sent these out on the chat group yesterday if you read them. In 1857 in New York, a man named Jeremiah Lampier 
invited, he was a businessman in a Dutch reformed church. 1857, September 23, he says, from 12 o'clock to one o'clock, I'm inviting everyone to come and pray. He sat there from 12 until 1230, no one came. He's about to lock the door and leave. One person walked in. He decided, I'll pray with this guy. As they get ready to close, five other people come in. Four other, four or five other people. They said it was six total at the end. I don't know if that six means six with Jeremiah or six without him. At the end, there was about six people there. The next week, there were 20. The next week, there were 40. Within two months, there were more than 20 prayer meetings all across New York. Over the next two years, they began meeting every single day and the meeting spread from New York to Chicago to Atlanta to nearly every major city in the U.S. What happened in those prayer meetings were that people became under such conviction that they asked other people there for spiritual help. So the businessmen talked to their pastors and said, would you pastors come to the prayer meetings? I think some people want to become Christians. One after another, people became converted until over a million people were converted in two years from prayer meetings. It became daily prayer meetings for one hour. If God moved enemies to threaten the existence of his people so that true, lively prayer meetings would take place, then ought we not also prioritize the prayer meetings Let me close with this. Eight ways that we can make our prayer meetings better. Number one, we can pray for spiritual things. Number one, when we have prayer meetings, let's pray for spiritual requests like the requests in the Lord's Prayer, the model prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Those six prayers or the eight prayers of the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3, Ephesians 6, etc. Number two, pray through passages of scripture like the Psalms, like the text of the sermon that you heard on the Lord's Day. Number three, attend the prayer meeting regardless of the size. Number four, arrange meeting times that fit the schedules of the members. Number five, Announce and rejoice over answers to prayer. Number six, find and share examples from church history of lively and powerful prayer meetings. Like that prayer meeting from 1857. Didn't that stir you? It stirred me. Share examples like that. Number seven, keep prayer as the center during the prayer meetings. Not Bible teaching, not Bible studies, not giving requests, not talking. Keep prayer at the center. Number eight, pray short prayers multiple times rather than praying one long prayer per person. You can do that. Many people have done it. But I have found that if each person prays one long prayer, Generally, people get distracted. But if you put out a request like, let's pray for our children, and everyone prays 30 seconds, and then you say, okay, let's pray for our marriages, everyone prays 30 seconds. Okay, let's pray next that God would forgive us and send his spirit, 30 seconds per person. Let's pray for the power of God this coming Lord's Day with the preaching. Let's pray for our government officials, 30 seconds per person. 
Before you know it, 30 minutes is gone or 45 minutes. Shorter prayer requests prayed in a circle. This are some of the ideas and thoughts that Esther brings to us. When the problem comes, Esther calls a prayer meeting. I would love to see more prayer meetings in the church of God. May God raise up people to start prayer meetings like he raised up Esther. Father, we close our time tonight by prayer. By asking only that you would stir us like you stirred Jeremy Lampier. Change us like you changed him. Save us like you saved people in New York. Save Afrikaners and Vendas and Songas and Zulus and Sutus and Shonas. Send a revival to Lewis Treecart. Grant that prayers would be answered. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.